<laughs> the text that we just uh, had the children do there, uh, I know they were very excited in doing this. And so before I even uh, start on this point, I want to make all disclaimers. That was a work of fiction. <laughs> and it's based on Matthew chapter 18. So if it seems very close to something in real life, you're obviously imagining it. <laughs> now, I think one of the things we want to think about when, uh, when we began with that first point uh, is that in this parable, Jesus is actually answering a question that Peter raised uh, to Jesus. It was all in respect to uh, forgiveness, really. And Peter asked this question, Lord, how many times do we need to forgive our brother? And the brother is a general term, someone whom you consider as like, uh, you know, like you go to a mama shop and you say, hey, brother, that kind of brother, right? And the Jewish law said three times uh, should be sufficient, three times a day. And so, you, you know, in a day, you might have your, your, your wife or your husband counting on oh, that one first time already. By the time the afternoon, second time already, third time, oh, that's it. <laughs> but Jesus' answer is not three times, but 77 times. Not 77, but 70 times seven times. And some of you might be doing the maths already. But before I go into that math, I want you to think about what Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. Because when we celebrate Easter, two things are very key to us. One is that we have received forgiveness from Christ Jesus, but at the same time, this commandment, uh, this teaching that Jesus gives tells us you need to forgive others again and again and again. But why? Now, I believe that all of us at the back of our mind know that forgiveness is rather crucial. I'd say here, forgiveness and reconciliation, okay, forgiveness and reconciliation is crucial not only in our human relationships, but also in our spiritual relationships. Now, if you don't realize how important it is, I'm going to just flash up two texts that talk about forgiveness. The first one from Matthew itself, where this particular uh, parable or teaching from Jesus came slightly earlier on. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, where does this come? Where, where is this particular uh, phrase from? Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15, is immediately after the Lord's Prayer. And so, if you think in terms of the Jewish understanding, Jesus was now giving His disciples a new prayer. And say, when you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, uh, we continue on because the King James Version continues on and adds uh, other parts of the prayer. But in the text itself, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, Jesus gives a little side explanation here and says, if you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, if this is not bad enough, let me take you to Mark. Mark says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, this is a further extension of what earlier on Jesus has said. If you come to the altar and you're about to present your offering and you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled with your brother first 
and then come and make your offering. Now, we kind of, uh, we kind of forget what this means. But in the Jewish custom, what Jesus was essentially saying is, your rituals, your worship, and uh, your, the things that you do is secondary to reconciliation to God. It is more important for you to be reconciled to your brother and at peace with him than all these rituals. Now, this is quite significant because for the Jewish people, you come to the temple and you're doing all these uh, offerings and sacrifices. You're about to give your offering and then suddenly it says, hang on, I've got something that I need to be reconciled with. You know, it's almost like looking at our musicians here, like Daniel and Melvin, you know, suddenly they're playing a chord and uh, they remember that they have something that they have not been reconciled with. Could be with their wife, could be with their son or children, could be with a business partner. And God is basically saying, all your worship and all your ritual is, is um, secondary to this other act of forgiveness and reconciliation. Why? Why is it higher than that? Well, the, the, the answer is a four-letter word, and it's not a bad word. <laughs> it's L-O-V-E. Because when you love God and you love one another, that love to each other demands forgiveness. And in my ministry, in all these years as a pastor, I realized that we profess Christ. We love God. We love a God that we do not see. But you ask them to love someone who is their brother, their mother, their father, their workmate, and they say, that one I cannot. <laughs> I see their sin, and their sin is before me every day. And some of you might say, no, 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 I don't have that problem. I love everybody. And then I ask them, do you love the government? <laughs> and they say, well, that one I have to think. we reach a particularly critical point when we come to the cross of Christ. We have just read that passage from John chapter 20 about Jesus dying on the cross. And what is the purpose of His death on the cross? That He would gain forgiveness of sins for all mankind. That forgiveness is seen when He does this uh, sacrament of the table, the word and table. So every, every first Sunday when we come and we have Holy Communion, or every time when we break the bread and we drink from the cup, we remember this. Occasionally the, the liturgist will tell you or the celebrant will tell you, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so each time we share in the communion, each time we remember Easter, we remember God's great act of forgiveness. In the same way that the children have enacted this king who has forgiven this great astounding debt. Now I want to bring you back to Matthew. In the parable of Matthew, uh, some of your Bibles will say 10 bags of gold. In the older translations, particularly the one that you find in your pew Bible, it says 10,000 talents. Now, how much is 10,000 talents? To give you a kind of rough indication, the annual tax that Jerusalem or the whole area of Israel paid to Rome around that period of time, the annual tax was about 87 talents annually, 87 talents. Another calculation is one talent is equivalent to about 25 years of a worker's daily wage. And so this man had effectively squandered a staggering figure, one which was impossible to pay back, 
One which demanded his whole life to be forfeit for it. And the king decided to forgive his debt. The king forgives his debt, obviously at cost to himself, because that's 10,000 talents. Now, forgiveness is an act of love. You are letting someone off the hook and not holding them to it, but absorbing the sin. The man goes away and he has a friend, according to the text, who owes him 300 denarii. 300 denarii is 300 days of a wage. Now, um, I don't know how much you earn in a month, right? But let's assume uh, 300 days wages roughly would probably be about 10 months of your wage, right? So if you take 10 months of your wage, uh, let's say if you're, if you're you know, a, a young graduate who just came out from university, you started your job and you owe $2,000 per month, or your salary is $2,000 a month, 300 denarii equivalent now would roughly be about 20,000. So someone owes you 20,000 ringgit, but you have just been forgiven a debt that is in the trillion, gabillion figure. The fact that the man goes and says, I demand of you this 10-month salary is to indicate to you that this person is still bankrupt. Emotionally, spiritually bankrupt. He has no thanksgiving in him of the fact that his debt has been paid, a far greater debt. He has no thanksgiving in him, and instead what has happened is a hardness of his heart that says, where can I get more in order to feed my habits? And so we have these kind of situations. What does forgiveness mean to us, people of the resurrected Christ? people who are called by Jesus' name, people whose blood we always draw on. I know some of you, when you pray, we say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we ask for forgiveness of our sins. Have you heard that before? We ask for the covering of bloods, uh, Jesus' blood on us, that because of His death on the cross, we are forgiven. Many of you are familiar with this, right? Uh, some of you can probably recite this from memory. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And quite often when we go on our, our evangelism or our rallies, we teach people these things, John 3.16. And then we tell people all you need to do is believe. Believe in Jesus Christ and suddenly it's almost as if a label has been stuck on you that says, okay, now you're going to have eternal life. Now the problem with this particular understanding it is, is that it is partly true but not fully true. I don't know how many of you are, are very used to when you go to the supermarket I don't know which one you go to. Sometimes you buy something and you look at it and it says, for example, grapefruit. It looks like grapefruit and you think you're buying grapefruit and then the guy weighs it and he puts it in a bag and he sticks a label on it and you go and pay and suddenly it's not grapefruit. It's grapes. And you look at it and it says, no, it's a grapefruit. Why is it being labelled a grape. And you obviously think that something's wrong with the label or something's wrong with the content. But many Christians, in a way, are like that. We go around saying that we're Christian, but we continue to be unforgiving, angry, frustrated, upset people. 
And then when people say, I thought you say you're Christian. And their answer is, uh, Christians aren't perfect. We are just forgiven. Which in a way kind of like excuses our behavior. We say we're not perfect, but we're forgiven. And it's even uh, seen itself in bumper stickers. In the period in the 1980s, we say Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. So you get into a nasty fight with a road bully who has this sticker <laughs> on his back. He says, I'm Christian, but I'm not perfect. It's exactly like being what we call a bumper sticker barcode Christian. What we're essentially saying to others is, just watch our barcode. Don't care about the content of the product. Just look at our barcode. Let me quote John 3.16. God so loved the world. That whoever believes in Him, I believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Him, why is it that there is no transformation? What is going on? How do we end up a people not transformed? I mean, if you look at the person next to you, and this person is saying, I am a believer of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in me, wouldn't it mean that if God is in you, something mysterious and, ma mysterious and magnificent is changing you day by day? But many of my friends, including church members, come to me and will say, ah, yeah, that's so-and-so. Ah. I'm not going to give you names. <laughs> that so-and-so has been in our church for ages. Still like that one. Still argumentative, still arguing, always very nasty. Not able to change. What is going on? Well, in a way, sometimes we have bought into this barcode Christianity model. Now, what's worse, what's worse than a barcode mentality is this, the Christian vampire. <laughs> Can you imagine a Christian vampire? Why do we say, don't be a Christian vampire? Because... It's as if we feed on the blood of Jesus and we want to live forever and ever and ever, but we still remain creatures of darkness. We still remain creatures of evil and creatures who do not want to come to the light at all. We remain untransformed. It's as if the blood of Christ does nothing to you other than guarantee you eternal life. That is a Christian vampire. I wonder when you think about this, are you on the road to sanctification? If you're a Methodist, you need to understand what this means. When John Wesley and even other theologians talk about sanctification, perfection, it means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, something mysterious, marvelous, amazing is day by day happening. That you abide in Christ and you are being changed into something more than what you were before. And not only that, those who are near you look at you and say, yeah, something's changing. Five years ago, ten years ago, or so forth. If you don't believe me, maybe go for one of your alumni reunions and talk to your friends and see anything different or not. I know, when I was younger, Form 1 especially, yeah, Kids want to know, uh -huh, Form 1, what did you do? <laughs> form 1, I was at an age where every swear word was a punctuation. It was as if it was a greeting to each other. Hey! <laughs> it's our way of saying, you my man, you my brother. But profanity came out of the mouth and if the same mouth we curse and the same mouth we used to praise God. And there was a dissonance or a disagreement between what was going on with my spirit and my soul.
There's this gentleman by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. He's also an evangelist, pretty much like uh, uh, Billy Graham. And he made this comment, you know, you see some bumper stickers, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. They say Christians are not sinless, they just sin less. <laughs> now, how many of you are like, ah, yeah, 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 that's me. <laughs> I'm not perfect, I sin less. Well, Leonard has this to say to you, if you're a Christian, you don't sin. You've got victory over sin. The Lord Jesus Christ came to purify us unto holiness and nothing but purity will satisfy Him. Now, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my commandments. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. No way for a barcode Christian, no way for a Christian vampire to not be transformed just from a matter of belief but also from a matter of life. How you live your life needs to see this transformation. So Leonard continues, the world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. They are waiting for a new demonstration of what Christianity is. Let me bring you back to that parable. It's, uh, it's not John 18.22, sorry, it's Matthew 18.22. It says there 70 times 7 times. Okay, I'm going to ask our teens around here, how much is 70 times 7 times? Yes! Brilliant! 490. Now, the harder one, the next question, right? How many hours in a day are there? 24. How many hours do you sleep in a day? Okay, 8 hours a day. 6, okay. So between 8 and 6, let's say 7 hours, right? So, 24 minus 7 is? Wow. Mm, uh, 17, thank you. If there are 17 hours in a day and 60 minutes every hour, what number is that? The parents are quickly taking out their <laughs> handphone, pulling out their... <laughs> so let me give you the quick maths. It's approximately 2,000 minutes. And when you take 2,000 plus minutes and you divide it by 490, what do you get? Nope. If you divide the number of minutes in a day by 490 times, you get 2.006 something. Which means, when Jesus is saying, forgive them 70 times, 7 times, you really have to be sinning really good to be sinning every 2 minutes of your waking time, to be forgiven every time. So obviously, Jesus is not telling you, please count. You know, your partner is there and say, okay, one, <laughs> two, three, four. I mean, it's not that you have a counter around you counting the number of times that someone has sinned against you. Essentially, what it means is keep on forgiving again and again and again and again. But Jesus is not giving you a law. He is giving you an illustration of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. To be in the kingdom of God is where God, Jesus reigns and when something marvelous has happened to you, when you have this relationship with Jesus, it's called love. Because when you love someone, you don't keep a tab of how many times have you done this to me. I know some couples, they get not only hysterical, they also get historical. <laughs> they say, yesterday, 
one week ago, you did this. That's historical. But you remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so in John 14, 23, again in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John, it says, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. What is Jesus teaching? If I were to summarize the whole entire thing, two commandments. Love God. Love one another. But Jesus changed the commandment, right? He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What kind of love is this? It was not the love that the Pharisees and Sadducees did by creating all these command structures, not the 623 Levitical laws or Pharisaical laws. It was the law of undiminished, unconditional, never-ending love. But love is not defined by how I feel. Love is defined by how we obey Jesus' commands. Now, I, I, I say this because I had young friends in their mid-twenties who came to me and said, the scripture is unnecessary. I don't need to read the Bible. I just need to understand what Jesus said, which is love one another. And she was in a relationship, with, in a serial relationship of many other people and still trying to find love. Her idea of love was very physical, very emotional, very sensate. But Jesus tells us that this love is when you obey His teachings, when you obey what Jesus is. So in a way, Jesus is saying, that Christ is the definition of what love is. And we know that God is love. I think my dear sister Gauri pointed out the other day an example from uh, Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa is one of these people who, in a way, what we, what we call it, say, practices the presence of God. The presence of God meaning the unity of being with Christ, in Christ, and acting for Christ. And she says here, the joy of the presence of Jesus, this practicing of the presence of God, you must be able to give wherever you go. But you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. And that's why we need a pure heart. A pure heart is that which you receive out of a fruit of your prayer. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to be at Bethel throughout our prayer vigil. I think many came and many were touched by the presence of God. I was there a couple of times, but in the evening, we had one group that came from another lighthouse and they were praying tears travailing on the ground, not just for themselves, but for Malaysia, for every single Malaysian, not counting what color, what language, what race, what background, not just for Malaysians, but every single migrant or every person who came from every nation. That is what it means to come to the Lord with a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean when she says, you cannot give what you don't have? Let me try and put it as simply as possible. It's hard for you to give love when you feel empty of love. It's hard for you to give forgiveness if you yourself have never experienced what forgiveness is. And many of us carry baggage, really big baggage, stuff that we have carried for many years in our life. We have not yet been able to forgive 
an abusive father or someone who may have molested them at a very young age. I mean, let's be honest. Some things you can forgive and forget very soon. Like somebody cuts you in front of the traffic, you get angry. You feel like you want to ram the car down. You wish you had a tractor. But after a while, you forget about it and you move on. But there are some things which you just cannot let go. And as a pastor, I have to honestly say, many times, uh, people come to me in their woundedness and say, my brother cheated me of my inheritance. Or my mother abandoned me. Or my father never spoke up for me in school. All these brokenness and hurt. And what it really indicates to me is that where they were looking for love and forgiveness from another human being, even if it is someone whom it is right to expect that kind of protection, love and respect, we fail each other. And the hard thing about this is Jesus says, forgive them. Forgive them. Brothers and sisters, we all know this. I think you know this. God's commandments are not hard. Love one another. But if love means forgiving each other, that's where we come up to this problem. Because forgiveness is a two-way street. It is not one way. And when I say one way, it means you cannot expect God to forgive you and yet you not forgive others. Jesus said it many times, how can you love a God you have not seen if you are unable to love one whom you can see? And really, forgiveness, mercy, reconciliation, grace, these are acts of love you give it to others. You cannot demand it of them. The moment that you say, I'm going to withhold my forgiveness from you, you have essentially said, I'm withholding my love from you. My love cannot trust you. My love cannot abide you. And some of us, I know for you, maybe you're coming to a point now and says, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. Yes, I don't know. Jesus is the one who's asking you to do it, not me. So go and argue with him. The act of giving forgiveness is an act of grace that makes us like Jesus, who at the cross said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. The act of forgiveness is very much like Jesus, where in all of this Easter theme, we've always been saying, Christ died for us to forgive us our sins and to reconcile us with God while we were yet sinners. And so there's no denying that there are people whom we know who really don't need don't deserve our forgiveness. But if you say that of these people, what are you saying to Jesus who also died for them? These people that you hate, that you hold this grudge against, who were mean, who were terrible, who robbed you, took your dignity and took your identity from you. Yes, these people, what they did was really atrocious. And their sin is inexcusable and we cannot overlook such things. There are some things that we can overlook. Like when a friend bangs into my car, I might say, yeah, I can overlook that. But if you purposely run down my child, I would find it so much harder to forgive you. But I'm called to forgive. But I do not excuse the sin. And so when people are done wrong, we still nonetheless see the course of law go through its way. But we are called 
not to hold this judgment against them. In John chapter 20, verse 21, which is right at the end of the resurrection passage we just read, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, although Jesus said they're not forgiven, you must understand the context of what he is saying. These apostles are going out to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even in all of the texts, we have always seen, Jesus says, how many times do you need to forgive? All the time. Without count. Without reserve. Forgiveness is not the command. Forgiveness is an illustration of love. And love is the command. Love one another. And when you truly love one another, it will be seen by how you forgive, how you seek reconciliation, how you go forth and pursue it. But the most amazing thing about this is that because Jesus is alive, And because now that he has returned to the heavens, one, he intercedes for us. Two, he has sent the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is that power of the Holy Spirit that is that barcode. It is the very thing that transforms you. It is the very thing that changes you to become more and more each and every day built up into the image of Christ Jesus. That is why Jesus says, all sins are forgivable except the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit when you reject the transformation of the Holy Spirit in you. We sin against the Spirit each time we say, no, I refuse to do this. Dear friends, I've been counselling folks before. I had one elderly gentleman who came to me and, and I pointed out to him all these scriptures you know, Jesus is Prince of Peace. He calls for forgiveness. You, you know you're supposed to give. You know that Jesus wants you to forgive. And his comment was, I know Jesus wants me to forgive, but I cannot. And I said, will you ask the Holy Spirit to come and ask you to forgive? After three sessions of sitting with him, finally he said, I don't feel like it but I know I have to do it, so I'll do it. I'll pray. That, to me, is a step forward. And so I know some of you may say to yourselves, I can't forgive. I want to give you this few closing thoughts. I've talked about offences which are generally things that we can deal with. But there are times when people do really offensive work which you really cannot let go of because they are downright evil. We condemn the sin. We pray and love the sinner. We do not excuse the evil that they do. But we do not condemn the person. In Romans chapter 12, Verse 18 onwards, there is this comment that says, Brothers, if as far as possible, where you are able, live at peace with one another. And he goes on to say, Do not seek revenge. Because when you cannot forgive someone, you feel like you want to kill them. And you're finding ways to seek revenge. It says, Do not seek revenge, for as it is written, It's written in Deuteronomy, Vengeance is mine. Who's mine? Not yours. God. And so there are two places in which a very, very serious evil offence can go. 
One place is to the cross because if the person who, who has sinned against you is repentant and he asks the Lord, Lord, forgive my sins, his sin goes to the cross and Jesus forgives him and loves him and calls you to do the same. And if you refuse to do so and you continue to seek revenge, you yourself are in danger of hellfire. It says so in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 to 7. The other place where such evil offences go to is to the judgment seat, the wrath of God, and the lake of fire in eternal burning. Nothing you do to that person now in this life is going to be worse than that. But if you continue to hold on to this revenge and this anger, it is like drinking poison yourself and hoping the other person dies. The title of the sharing earlier on was, I am loved and forgiven because he lives. But that's a one-way street. The two-way street is, I'm loved and forgiven because he lives. I can love and forgive others. I'm no more bankrupt. Our God has poured into us all the riches of heaven. He has not even withheld His only Son from us. And to me, what I have realized is if you can take everything that I have physically, materially, you cannot take away God's love and God's promise of eternal life from me. Take away everything if you want to. But you can't take away that. And the only way I'm holding on to that is to hold on to Jesus and to obey His commands. God's gift of Easter is the unconditional love, forgiveness, and hope through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has freely given this gift to you. Freely you have received, freely give. Maybe this Easter is one occasion where you really need to look hard at your hardened part of your heart, something that you have held on to for a while. And you need to let that go and forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. Let me end with the words from Dallas Willard in one of his books called The Great Omission. Some of you will say, can I not be saved? Get into heaven when I die without any of this forgiveness business. Perhaps you can. God's goodness is so great, I'm sure that He will let you in if He can find any basis at all to do so. But you might wish to think about what your life amounts to before you die. Filled with bitterness, filled with this poison, filled with this anger and unforgiveness about what kind of person you are becoming and whether you really would be comfortable for eternity in the presence of one whose company you have not found especially desirable for the few hours and days of our earthly experience. And He is, after all, the one who says to you now, follow me. Let's pray. Dear friends, I'm going to say three prayers. And these three prayers uh, come in three categories. The first prayer is for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ. You've come here and you've been wondering what this Easter is all about and you've heard about this love of Jesus, but you've never welcomed Him into your heart. And you want this promise of the Spirit of Jesus Christ because that's what you need in order to live a life of love and to live a life full of the glory of God. If that's your desire, that's the first prayer. 
The second prayer is for those of you who have been Christian all this while. But to some extent, you're like the barcode Christian or you're like this vampire Christian. On the outside, you follow the rituals. But on the inside, you've not allowed the Holy Spirit to transform you. And so for you, if that is your prayer, the second prayer is for you to invite the Holy Spirit to break down your walls of offense, to give forgiveness and love and not to hold back in your pain. And the third and final prayer is for those of us who are trying to regularly practice this presence of God, that you need God's strength to continue this rhythm of love and forgiveness, love and forgiveness every day because we are every day offended and you grow weary at times. So if you will, pray with me. We ask for the hope of Easter, Easter to come into our hearts again. Let us pray. Here's the first prayer for brothers and sisters who want to invite Christ to come into our hearts. If you're that person and you want to acknowledge this, you can say this prayer in your own heart. If you want to go a step further and no one's looking at you, I'm not looking either, you might want to raise your hands to the Lord. And say this prayer and follow after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I've done many wrong things and my anger and hate and bitterness and unforgiveness has made my life very dark, very miserable. I want to surrender all my brokenness to you and I want to believe in you, Lord. And at this point, I acknowledge Lord Jesus that you are my Lord and my Saviour and I surrender my whole life into your hands. I repent of my life and I want to turn myself to you, Lord. And I ask, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit in me that I might be transformed to be more and more like Jesus every day. Give me friends, Lord, who will come alongside and put me, Lord, in a community which is your body that I might grow to be more and more like you. Bind my sins, Lord, and take it far away. This I ask in Jesus' name. Friends, the second prayer, Lord, friends, are for those who want to be renewed. Those who've been like this barcode Christians or Christian vampires, outwardly Christian, but for many years feeling cold in the heart. Will you come to the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit to come again, to abide with you and to be at one with God the Father and Christ His Son. And hold in your heart this truth in John chapter 18, verse 3. And this is eternal and true life, that they may know the true God, the Father in heaven, and Christ Jesus, whom He sent. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the outward masks of pretending to be nice. And I truly want to be able to love freely. But I need your help to forgive, Lord. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to break down the walls of brokenness in me. I need you to bind and heal me, Lord, from my past. 
And I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, free me to forgive others, Lord. I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you release the Holy Spirit in all of us, Lord, that we might be overflowing in love, that freely as we have received, freely we will give. Fill us, Lord, with your love for others, others whom you have also died for, Lord. And help us when we see others, Lord, even those that we do not like, to see your face, to see the fingerprints of God on them, Lord, for they are made in your image and you died for them too. Asking this, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. And friends, the final prayer. This is a prayer for those who know their faith, who struggle to abide in Christ and know that God is doing something in them already and is aware of the mystery of God. But you want to have this rhythm, this rhythm of love and forgiveness, mercy and grace each and every hour. Will you pray to the Lord in your own words and ask this of the Lord? And I will close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, in the same way that the tides come, each tide wears down the stone until it is sand. And the waves that overwhelm us at times, Lord, seem to crush us and take us away bit by bit. But every day, Lord, you are taking away our masks, taking away our pride and our egos, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you give us a rhythm that even when things overwhelm us, Lord, that you would refresh us each day from the source of living water, the Holy Spirit. That each time that we are offended, Lord, love will rise up. That each time when our patience is stretched, Lord, grace will flow. That each time, Lord, we have been wronged, forgiveness will flow out of the fullness of your grace to us, Lord. Fill us with your joy. Fill us, Lord, with a thankfulness, Lord, in all circumstances, in all situations, Lord. Help us to find the good, for we know that Christ died for us, Lord, that out of his supreme act of love, you gave us your Son and said, You are my child in whom I am well pleased. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 
we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. as renewed people of God we sing this song sacrifice on the cross, Lord, has bought us forgiveness and covered us with your love, Lord. Because you live, Lord, all hope is ours and all joy, Lord, is ours to be freely received and freely given. Brothers and sisters, go forth from here in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May the power that raised Jesus from the dead abide and be with you. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Christ Jesus and the love of the Father, you may abound in hope. Amen.
Friends, please be seated a moment. 